0: Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything foreign policy has to offer. Hello and
1: welcome. You're listening to Philosophy for Our Times, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. There is perhaps nothing more contentious in a romantic relationship than our partner's attitude to porn. According to Psychiatry Today, many researchers suggest that pornography inhibits our ability to make healthy, romantic relationships. But more recent research suggests that pornography can, in fact, complement a healthy sex life. But with porn being such a taboo subject, getting meaningful research done is a difficult task. Here to break through this taboo is our speaker for today's podcast, former MP and LGBT rights activist Peter Tatchell.
2: What I want to do is think through some of the implications about our attitudes towards sexually explicit imagery. And of course, my starting point is that there is nothing obscene or offensive about sex per se. That sex is entirely healthy, natural, normal, and should be celebrated. And that if you take that view, then logically, the visual representations of those sexual acts also should not be offensive or deemed to be wrong. I'm not saying that all pornography is good or socially beneficial. Um, I accept that a lot of, indeed, most sexually explicit imagery is oppressive, exploitative, and humiliating, and I don't agree with that. What I'm saying is that in some circumstances, some types of pornography can be okay, ethically, and can actually be beneficial to the individual and to the wider society. I guess what I'm trying to also say is that this issue is much more complex and nuanced than is often acknowledged and accepted. That the blanket knee-jerk condemnations, based on some types of pornography, indeed you might say most types of pornography, that is not helpful because it ignores the complexity of this issue. As I said, I totally accept that a lot of sexually explicit imagery is abusive, dehumanizing, exploitative, and I condemn that. But I also want to say that some pornography for some people can be educative, liberating, empowering, fulfilling, and immensely socially beneficial. It all depends on how it's made, who makes it, who the actors are and their circumstances, what it depicts, and why it is being used. So there's a whole raft of different complex issues there, which I think we will go today we'll try and unpick. Now the Puritans of course will say that all porn is anti-woman full stop and therefore we don't need to have this debate. Pornography should be banned. I think that's a very understandable position, given the way women are exploited, but I think it's also quite simplistic. It's untrue in some cases, it's insensitive, and indeed it's uncaring, because it doesn't acknowledge some people's particular needs, which pornography undoubtedly does fulfill. I want to say that using sex-explicit imagery can sometimes be egalitarian, health-promoting, emotionally fulfilling, and even life-saving. Now, critics say that pornography is exploitative and degrading. I've already said I agree with that. In many cases, most cases, that is true. But I'd also say that Aren't most jobs degrading, dehumanizing, and exploitative? Are people working in the porn industry any more exploited than those who are working in mind-numbing, low-paid, dead-end, routine jobs? You know, are skin flick actors really more exploited than people working on zero-hours contracts or in McDonald's or other, you know, fast-food outlets? Obviously, there's a difference, but I'm not too sure that there is a major, major difference in terms of the working conditions. Obviously, if people are being trafficked or coerced, that's completely different, but if people freely choose to be part of the porn industry, then it is for them a professional choice, a job choice. And although that may not be the case for many people working in the industry, for some people it is. So we need to acknowledge if you like, the exceptions to the exploitation that undoubtedly goes on. So I just want to, for the purposes to be really clear, these forms of pornography that involve unwilling actors or underage actors or people who have not freely given their informed consent, those who suffer harm, that kind of pornography should be banned and should be criminalized. But as I said, if you take the view that pornography is essentially a visual depiction of a basically fundamentally healthy, normal, natural act, then I think it's highly problematic to make a sweeping generalization that all pornography is problematic and ethically dubious. There are, of course, some gray areas which I feel very uncomfortable about, such as pornography that involves images of degradation and humiliation even where it's just the actors with consent acting out a scenario you know, i don't like that kind of pornography i find it degrading and humiliating and you know for me it's, uh, it's something i would never want to watch or never want to endorse but then you have to ask the question well how do we deal with those images if we accept that you know particularly the ones that target women and and treat women as sex objects and where they are just instruments of male pleasure where women are being severely humiliated and degraded. How do we deal with that? How do we draw the legal line? I, I think the attempt to control those kind of images is really difficult because how do you define degradation? You know, in this room, we'll have half a dozen different interpretations of what constitutes a degrading or humiliating or exploitative image. So. To legislate that, to enshrine it in law in a way that's enforceable is really, really difficult and problematic. And of course, if you did that, there'd be the secondary issue of who and how would it be enforced. We'd be giving the state uh, the right to control and to prosecute those images. And through the courts, it would be down to mostly male elderly judges, largely of a conservative bent, who would make those decisions. And I'm not sure that those are the people who are the appropriate and reasonable arbiters of such matters. So the problem is, there is no agreed consensus on what constitutes degrading, exploitative, or humiliating images. Opinions do differ very widely. Legislation has been tried in some countries. So for example, in Canada, under the country's tightened anti-porn laws, the first ever prosecution was of a lesbian SM publication involving consenting actors acting out consensual SM. Two women in a lesbian relationship acting out an SM scene. I don't think I would be comfortable going down that kind of road. Here in the United Kingdom, our anti-porn laws were used successfully in the 1980s to block explicit safer sex advice targeted at gay and bisexual men in order to combat the spread of HIV and AIDS. Even if there were cases, say, of depictions of sexual degradation, where it involves consensual sadomasochistic fantasy and role-play, where two or more adults commit sexual acts with mutual agreement, and where no one experiences any lasting harm, or none of the participants are coerced, or they compl- don't complain, then again, to criminalize that, to say it's wrong, to make an ethical judgment about it, again, I think is quite dangerous territory. It, it's, it's got more than a whiff of authoritarianism. It's an attack upon the right to personal autonomy, to individual choice, to free expression. Critics, of course, will argue that there is a connection between sexual explicit imagery and violence and sexual abuse. Now, if that was the case, there may be some argument for taking that seriously and, and perhaps constricting pornography. But the evidence is highly contested and very disputed. There's no doubt there are some cases where it does appear there is some kind of link between particularly watching extreme pornography and sexual violence against women. There is some evidence, but then the evidence is contested because what came first? Was it the porn or was it the innate desires that had been there, the abusive desires that had been there prior to the porn? So it's a problematic connection, which I don't think has been proven by a long shot. And let's say even if a connection could be proven between sexual explicit images and actual sexual abuse, even then I'd be rather reluctant to say that justified a ban because I don't believe we can legislate for the whole of society on the basis of what a minority of dysfunctional individuals might do. You know, Otherwise we would ban cars because some people abuse cars and drive recklessly and kill people. So minority practice or something done by a minority is not a good basis on which to legislate for the majority. For me the real problematic issue is the way in which many women, most women and some men, are forced into the sex industry via trafficking, imprisonment, blackmail and pimping. That is undoubtedly a real problem. And that's why many of us rightly have a knee-jerk reaction against pornography. And of course, there does need to be much more concerted action to find out, prosecute, and free those women, and to help women and men who want to get out of the sex industry to do so. Some critics argue that banning pornography is the best way to protect often in view, abused and involuntary participants. Again, this is problematic not because, just because it's, I think the evidence suggests, a small, very small minority fit into that category, but just simply because of the difficulty of enforcement. Sexual explicit imagery is illegal in many, many countries, but it happens anyway. Now, of course, that's not a reason to say it shouldn't be criminalized or shouldn't be there shouldn't be attempts to inf- enforce prosecutions but I think we need to recognize that the enforcement of laws against pornography are notoriously difficult particularly with video streaming and the internet that's that's a problematic issue as well I'd say that of course most of us would acknowledge that pornography reflects the power imbalance between men and women in our society you know the degradation we often see is a reflection of male power and that needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be addressed. But perhaps it's better addressed in schools, in the education system. And that's why I'm supporting a campaign by the Sex Education Forum to ensure that every school in this country in sex and relationship education addresses issues of pornography so that young people can know and understand the effects of it and can have a more realistic expectation. At the moment, a lot of young boys think that every woman is up for anal sex because that is being pushed time and time again in mainstream straight pornography. We need to challenge that in the classroom so that young people have a more respectful attitude, or indeed have a, have a respectful attitude, full stop. You're not going to stop young people seeing porn. You know The evidence is that the vast majority of young teenagers have seen porn, both male and female. What we need to do is educate young people be able to cope with that in a responsible way and to ensure that when they have sex, they don't seek to live out those fantasies in ways that degrade and humiliate their partners. It's also, I think, quite important to acknowledge there's a considerable difference between gay and straight porn. Most women are in the sex industry not by genuine free choice. Many are pressured and threatened by pimps, traffickers, and racketeers. Others turn to porn on because of debt and financial problems. Very few women are involved in pornography because they really enjoy it. There are some, there are some, but very, very few. Moreover, of course, the straight porn industry is controlled by men who produce images, often quite degrading images, to satisfy male fantasies. Porn, in many ways, reflects and reinforces the undesirable, unequal power relationships between men and women in our society. Lesbian and gay pornography is usually quite different. There is some degrading stuff, but much, much less. It can be sordid and abusive. It can be driven by financial greed or need. But often the scenarios between the actors are much more egalitarian and looking at a lot of gay porn, you can see that the actors are enjoying what they're doing. Very different from, in many instances, straight porn. Even where money is the main consideration or motive, many participants in the gay porn industry are using porn as a way of you know, funding g- other goals in life. I interviewed a while back several people working in the porn industry and they were funding a coll- college education. So these were, for them, empowering motives and empowering ways of earning a living, which they couldn't otherwise get because they didn't have the necessary qualifications. But according to their own testimony, they said they were happy doing this work. Some actually said they enjoyed lots of sex, and this was therefore a very good way of both enjoying lots of sex and getting paid for it. So regardless of whether sexually explicit imagery is of same sex or opposite sex actors, I'd say there's a very strong case for saying that we should assess pornography case by case and that certainly any kind of blanket criminalization is the wrong way to go. Indeed, you may argue that uh, decriminalization to make consensual adult porn more legal and open is a good way to break the link between the sex industry and organized crime and to reduce the exploitation and abuse of the participants. Criminalizing pornography, as we've seen in this country in the past, only tends to drive it underground, making it harder to monitor and more difficult to find and rescue the victims. If pornography is criminalized, it discourages participants who've witnessed serious abuses such as the use of underage models or the trafficking of models to come forward and contact the police because they themselves fear prosecution. Legalization and openness, on the other hand, is more likely to create the spaces and opportunities for the production of independent, do-it-yourself, and alternative sex imagery that avoids the traditional exploitative and misogynistic scenarios. So we see, for example, the rise of what's sometimes called feminist porn, made by women for women, from a woman's perspective with the aim of pleasuring women not from the perspective of the male gaze and male desire. So finally, I'd just like to perhaps recap some ideas about the individual and social benefits of sexually explicit imagery. The critics often dismiss pornography magazines and films as, you know, wankfests. Um, My response is, what's wrong with masturbation? We all do it, or most of us do it. It's perfectly natural, perfectly healthy for both men and women. We shouldn't be ashamed about the reality that masturbation is a fact of life. If that's a way people have sexual fulfillment, fine. If pornography aids that, fine. Provided no one's harmed, no one's exploited, and so on, I say live and let live, even though you or I may not personally wish to participate in it or use it. You could say that masturbation, using porn, has a number of advantages. First of all, it is totally safe sex with no risk of transmitting or contracting HIV or other sexually transmitted infections. So instead of going out on the town and having random sex with some stranger, uh, staying at home and masturbating over a pornography video is a much safer option. And indeed, that was a proven demonstrable uh, safer option in the 1980s and 1990s with the HIV and AIDS crisis, when this was precisely what lots of gay and bisexual men were encouraged to do. And some, not all, did dramatically reduce their number of sexual partners and their sexual practices by using porn as an alternative. And that probably did help reduce the spread of HIV and AIDS within the gay community. So I think we can say with a fair degree of confidence that good quality sexual imagery can make masturbation a viable alternative to casual sex which can help reduce the number of sexual partners and cut the spread of sexually transmitted infections. The other thing that should be said is that when it comes to gay pornography, not so much now but in the past when criminalization and persecution was rampant and when public attitudes were so hostile, gay pornography was a very positive affirmation of gay sexuality. It affirmed, in your face, something that society sought to suppress, deny, and even criminalize. So it was a very positive thing for lots of young gay men to see gay pornography because for them it was an affirmation of their sexuality and their sexual desires. Another point, also relating to men in general, is that there's now some evidence that regular sex five or more times a week is a very important factor in reducing the risk of prostate cancer. A research by the AIDS Council in Australia and the cancer charities in Australia have shown that men who have sex five or more times a week between the ages of 18 and 55 have a 30 percent or more reduced risk of prostate cancer. So again, if Wanking or masturbation, jerking off, can help men get their quota of five times a week or more, then surely it's a good thing in terms of their health. And uh, also, of course, it saves the National Health Service a great deal of money as well. Perhaps it should be on the National Health Service. I'm not sure. My final point is that um, obviously we would prefer to have earlier, better quality sex and relationship education in our schools. But we all know from surveys of young people that most sex and relationship education is woefully inadequate. You know, it's not explicit. It doesn't go into details. It's usually about reproduction and the biology. It's not actually about sex at all. So a lot of young people find their sex education through pornography. Now, it shouldn't be that way. I agree, you know, parents and teachers and others should be given that information, but they're not. So young people are turning to porn to find out what to do and how to do it. So I would see that a lot of pornography despite the downsides of a lot of it, is a way of helping give young people an education about sex, about how to pleasure themselves and to pleasure their partners. But of course, to understand that, to understand the mutuality of sex, that's why I'm saying that sex and relationship education in schools should address pornography, because it has to be putting it in the context. This is how you get pleasure for yourself, this is how you get pleasure for your partners, because all sex, of course, should be with mutual consent and fulfilling for both sides. Thank you.
1: We hope you enjoyed this podcast, which was brought to you by the Institute of Arts and Ideas. So what do you think? Does pornography have the potential to bring good to individuals, relationships, and society? Or will it always be an aspect of unhealthy sexual frustrations and fixations? Let us know by tweeting at ii underscore tv with the hashtag philosophy for our times.